Hello, hello, hello! You're listening to Big Easy Ideas, a podcast that features live recordings from New Orleans Entrepreneur Week and builds connections at the intersection of innovation and culture. New Orleans Entrepreneur Week, or NOE as the locals like to call it, is an annual event across the city of New Orleans every March and is a celebration of startups, innovation, entrepreneurship, and what's next. Learn more and check out ways to get involved at neworleansentrepreneurweek.org or noew.org. And now, on to today's episode. Today's episode is a critical part of the conversation around how civic leadership, government, and anchor institutions can support local innovation and help create a more resilient Louisiana economy. This session emphasizes the role that equitable procurement and contracting can play in creating a more sustainable economy and closing the racial wealth gap by supporting BIPOC entrepreneurs, business owners, workers, and residents. Led by our friends at Propeller, a New Orleans-based nonprofit that supports social entrepreneurship and social innovation, Adele London will moderate this panel with Chuck Morse, Executive Director of Thrive NOLA, Lynette White-Collin, Senior Vice President at New Orleans Business Alliance, and Jade Brown-Russell, Principal at J.D. Russell Consulting and founder of Maroon Workspace. And now, Adele London. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. I'm Adele London, and I'm, I can't say how thrilled I am to be here and participating in New Orleans Entrepreneurship Week with this esteemed panel that I'm sitting up here with. Today, we're talking about access, access to opportunity, specifically access for black and brown entrepreneurs that have been systematically excluded. We're discussing closing the racial wealth gap through equitable procurement. We know that the United States has a huge racial wealth gap. We know that in New Orleans, African Americans make up about 60% of the population, about 40, upwards of about 40% of business ownership, but black businesses in New Orleans only receive about 2% of receipts. Laws, policies, red lines drawn, have stifled black and brown Americans' ability to build, maintain, and pass on wealth. But we now know that financial racism is bad business. The Kellogg Foundation's report, The Business Case for Racial Equity, stated the United States economy could be $8 trillion larger by 2050 if the country eliminated racial disparities in health, education, incarceration, employment, and opportunity. Financial racism has a chokehold on our economy. It stifles economic growth and access. Policies have consistently excluded people of color from access, so we need policies to consistently include BIPOC businesses and undo centuries-old harm. 
So steps like adopting equitable procurement policies can be good for business, good for us, good for our nation. Well, myself and um, my organization that I work at, Propeller, on our DEI journey, we have in fact adopted an equitable procurement policy. We're working and looking for emissaries. We're working with organizations who also want to adopt just and fair policy, uh, equitable procurement policies like we have done. We've convened this panel today of local leaders who have successfully shifted institutional and small business procurement policies and practices to begin evening the playing field for BIPOC businesses, business owners in greater New Orleans. These are change agents that are looking for solutions to diversifying supply chains and ensuring that all Americans, including black and brown people, have access to opportunities and shrink the racial wealth gap bit by bit. First, we have Jay Brown Russell. Jay Brown Russell is a powerhouse. She is the founder and principal of J.D. Russell Consulting. With over 17 years of legal experience and 15 years of diversity, equity, and inclusion experience, Jade focuses her efforts on systemic, sustainable, and equitable reform. She currently serves as the chairwoman of the Urban League of Louisiana and is the proud founder of Maroon, a new co-working space targeting BIPOC entrepreneurs located right here on St. Charles Avenue. Next, we, right, whoop, whoop, that was, yeah, that's a whoop, whoop. Next, we have Lynette White-Colin. Ms. White-Colin is the Senior Vice President of Small Business Growth at the New Orleans Business Alliance. Ms. White-Colin directs diverse efforts promoting economic inclusion to facilitate enhanced opportunities, sustainability, and growth for local small businesses with a significant emphasis on enterprises owned by black and brown founders. Lynette forges relationships with local anchor institutions, fostering the creation and identification of procurement and contracting opportunities for small business. And last but certainly not least is Chuck Morse. Chuck Morse is the executive director of Thrive NOLA, a nonprofit focused on small business development, workforce development, affordable housing, and community development. The right Reverend Morse serves as a professor at Union Baptist College and Theological Seminary in New Orleans. And most recently, Reverend Morse became the senior pastor and the good shepherd of New Birth Missionary Baptist Church, a historic church located right here in the Ninth Ward. These wonderful panelists are here today because they believe in equitable procurement. They believe policies and strategies can produce equity, inclusion, and access to opportunity. Welcome them all. Good afternoon, my friends. Good afternoon. Let's jump right into our first question. Success. What is one success that you have seen in your experience working with institutions anchors trying to implement or strengthen their equitable procurement or supply diversity policies or practices? I, I guess I'll start. I think you've always got to want to do it. But I think also you have to be able to have a top-down approach with this, right? And so where, where you have your um, directors, your, your boards, um, but you also have your leadership, but you also have your um, lower 
workers that will um, will lift this this kind of program and policy, right? So you have to be able to actually put the time in. It, it requires um, both time and exp it's expensive, right? Once you do that, you will be able to get the res the resources that you need to to lift this type of agenda. So I think that for me, that's what it is. So they first have to have the will. To you gotta do it. have will. Yeah. Lynette? Yeah, the will definitely has to be there. Um, I'm going to use the example of my own organization, uh, the New Orleans Business Alliance. Equitable procurement is not just a program in our organization. It is a part of the culture that everything that we do, every program that we run is steeped in equitable and in equity and making sure that we are using black and brown people uh, in this city to make that happen. And I think for any other company, the intentionality can be there sometimes at the top. And if that doesn't flow down all the way to the bottom, like um, Jade is saying, Amen. it does not work, right? Because I've talked to countless CEOs, countless university presidents, and they're on board. We're, we want to do this. We're in this. But still, what they have is side programs. They have a supplier, a supplier diversity representative who has no authority who has no signing authority to impact anything, right? So if, if you're really talking about it, it has to be a part of your company's culture, right? And not a, a side program that you dedicate a small piece of your budget toward. One of the things I want the audience to know, there is a difference between um, an on-ramp for minority-owned businesses and a bridge too far. I think too many times uh, for minority businesses in our city, it has been a bridge too far. Uh, where there's a subcontracting opportunity, um, somehow it doesn't move them forward uh, the way that they need to be moved forward. One example is the, the fact that for the last three years, Farb New Orleans has been partnering with Nora uh, and Brenda Bro's team over at Nora. One of the things that we realized from, from that partnership, that was an opportunity for minority-owned businesses to get involved. Uh, the contracts were not debundled, but they weren't too large. Um, where bonding and other things to keep them out. And they were able to um, hire BIPOC businesses as prime contractors. And then we were, they were able to also hire subcontractors of uh, businesses of color. And then they were also able to employ um, individuals of color. So that NOR CAP project, which is in Gentilly, is a great opportunity of how we can have on-ramps for minority-owned businesses and then also there was a special dedicated fund for access to the capital through the city, through Nucor, where these businesses could have access to the capital uh, and be able to flourish and grow. Not only that, there was some intentionality in the city to create a workforce for this particular program. And we're proud to be the national disaster resilience operator for the city. And we are, we are preparing employees so they can link to minority-owned businesses and they can be a part of this utility cap program. It's $25,000 per house. And if you have 200 homes and you have minority contractors involved, that means that money can trickle down and be involved. You can be a prime contractor and then you can be a subcontractor. And last but not least, before I turn it back over to Adele, we've also been able to do mentor protege programs through that project where the prime contractors are being mentors to those that are subs. We had a situation where a subcontractor had to bid against a prime contractor that he was mentored by and the subcontractor, the mentee, won the contract. 
That's a blessing. That's a wonderful thing. That's not a negative. That's a positive. That's what, what happened with that cat pro- program, huh, Chuck? I mean, it sounds like, like all of the stars were aligned. Like you had the will mm-hmm. that you talked about. You had the culture there. You had the leadership that bought in, right? Yes. And then you had government coming in, bringing in the resources, the money to help those small businesses to, to elevate those subs so that they could become primes. That's a great success story. Right? Like when you have all those things working in tandem. And we had also had a wonderful partnership with Propeller. So we know that it takes a village. It, it's going to be all of us working together to make sure we build up these companies so they are ready to compete and putting things in place. I call it removing barriers. Every day we're looking at what are the barriers, and we got to have partners to remove those barriers. Well, speaking of barriers, I want to get to a challenge. What is one challenge that you have seen with institutions trying to implement these changes, and how have they overcome these challenges? And if they weren't able to overcome the challenges, how would you have recommended they got over those challenges? Part of what I talked about earlier in larger institutions where the top person says, yeah, I'm interested, right? But if you don't go down to every single department that is procuring, that is putting out contract opportunities, and you don't make that a part of the culture, you're not gonna get the kind of result that you're talking about. And that's what we're seeing every single day, right? There are large enough companies here that are putting out opportunities, big opportunities. You're a private company, you can very easily change your contract language. Right to say that if you get a $5 million contract, I want 10%, I want 20% of it to go to a black or brown owned company, right? And the same way that we uh, procure opportunities and say that we wanna make sure that local is represented, you can do the same thing. But the intentionality, the will has to be there. It can't just be, yeah, we wanna do it, and yeah, we have a program, a program that's not really working, and you know, you're not checking the real boxes, right, to, to make sure that your company is being equitable. Also, one of the things that I've noticed that, and I'll tell everybody, that progress moves at the speed of trust. The good, I guess I could say good old boy network, is still in effect. It hasn't gone anywhere. And people are doing business with the people they know. I've had a person told me once when we were talking about procuring with a minority-owned company, he says, Chuck, why would I procure with this contractor when I got my best boy who lives where I live, from where I'm from, and he's already doing the job? Why should I bring in a, a business of color? I can watch LSU on, on Saturday night, drink my beer, and then know that if something happens, my boy is going to be there. And I asked him, I said, how can a minority-owned company ever get in your pipeline then if you're going to only exclusively use the people who look like you, have the same culture and experiences you have. And I said to him, what you're doing is you're not enhancing your business or your organization, and you surely is not enhancing our city because a rising tide does raise all ships. I think you have to have those folks that are at the top. They have to actually put these policies and, and programs in place. And what happens is we can't create the policies and the programs, but at the same time, we're not creating the, the, the capacity for small businesses. You have to do both, yes. right? And here's the thing, the people who have these companies, they are not experts in diversity no. and inclusion. And so because of that, they've gotta do exactly what they do with any other thing that's a priority for them. 
you bring in an expert. You bring in a person that knows how to create this uh, for you. So, you know, just listening to you all, it always comes down to, like, we can't program our way out of this. We have to look at policy. And we have to look to that leadership, that real buy-in and intentionality from the leadership to, to really um, get organizations, these anchor institutions. I was reading that the supply chain, just in hospitals alone, is $1 trillion. $1 trillion. And BIPOC businesses are not even a, a point of that trillion. So just think, if... Ashner, if LCMC, Tulane, Xavier, just think if all of those universities and hospitals enacted equitable procurement policies with goals and incentivized it. If that procurement director doesn't have an incentive, he's going to keep calling his LSU buddy that he have beer with every night. So let's be clear about that, right? So until that happens, Lynette's going to have a hard job. And they're going to keep making George Floyd statements and nothing will change. You know, universities and hospitals, they get a lot of benefit from the city. A lot of benefit. They own a lot of real estate. Many of them are not paying taxes, right? So I think they have a responsibility. They have a responsibility to the citizens here, right, To, to do the right thing. I've been doing this work for, I'm going to age myself now, but more than 20 years, right? I'm going to say I'm tired. I'm tired, and before I leave and retire, I do want to see some systems change. Because until we start to change these systems, we're not going to get anywhere, right? And I've been saying, I love to hear the voices of these young people, you know, who are not afraid. You know, I came up in a generation where you didn't say a whole lot. You saw stuff going on, but you didn't call it out. It is now time to call it out. It's time to start talking about who's not doing what they have a responsibility to do in this city. I hate to invoke Frederick Douglass, but power can seize enough from the eye of the man. I think we're too quiet. We need people to speak up and let these anchor institutions understand they need to invest in the people in the city. You know, not only a certain group of people in the city, the whole city. Your neighborhood would be better if you hired and procured from people in your neighborhood. Your clients are people of color. The CEO might say, yes, we want diversity. Yes, we want inclusion. But nobody wants goals. Nobody wants to say, when you say goals, they're ready to close the door Goal and kick you policy. out of the room. We want policies. So, so at the end of the day, we have to demand that. It can be great at the top. When you go down and further along, yeah. mm-hmm. you run into racism. Yeah. Let me say, yeah. you run into racism. Yeah. Yeah. That may, The CEO might be racist, but the person who's making the decision on who you, he's going to procure will not call a person of color business. That's just real That's, right. That's the real, real. That's right. Yeah. Systemic. We've got to change this. I have one last question. I was at Noe the other day, and my good friend Jessica Norwood was one of the keynotes, and she said something that really sent me into kind of a tizzy. She said, what would it look like if financial systems loved black people? And I went, drop mic. Like, what? I was like, what? would it look like if financial institutions, our financial system love black people, then I thought, I was like, what would it look like if our supply chains like black people, if hospitals, universities truly love black people and brown people, what would it look like? 
What would our society look like if it really loves yeah. and value black people? I don't, let me say this. I don't think the supply chain institutions, they don't have the capacity uh, and, and capability of loving, right? I, I think because they're driven by capitalism, right? And so I think if you're looking for love, you go by your mom or your daddy, right? Like, well, value, value. Right, like, no. So that you said two things. You said love and you said value. Yeah, I, right. I changed it. I said, and I about think value, value might, <laughs> might be a better one. But let me say this too. When you want to talk about value, I think you have to start with the valuation of ourselves, right? And so I know Essence is one of my clients, but I know they did a study that showed um, an estimate. And I think you, you just said it early, 1.3 trillion, right, is what our black buying power could reach to, right? And I think we have to be more intentional about um, what black folks are doing with that that power, right? We have to understand what our value is. And I think once we understand our value, then we could see other people looking at what our value is, right? I think that we've got to start that, that for, our, for ourselves. And to piggyback on Jay, we have to support each other. We've got to support our own companies. But I'm going to answer your question directly with one word. You said, what would it look like? Wakanda. 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 But if we valued each other, whether it's the supply chain, if we really valued each other, this is my, this is my pastor talk, <laughs> we would have a beloved community where yeah. people would share and understand the value of each other and we would be able to prosper. And this city would be a much better place. I think we've got to take that 1.3 trillion and we've got to understand how to um, we've got to be able to create generational opportunities for our community. Right? We have to, but we have to be able to start that for ourselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We've got to build an ecosystem to get to okay. Jade and Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, um, you know, just to conclude, I'm glad that, you know, we all comrades in arms in this struggle and that we are all working towards calling folks out if we need to, uh, if like Lynette said, but really speaking truth to power and really trying to look at systems changes and in, in, um, one being equitable procurement policy is one of the things that we're really pushing and that all of these people on this, on this panel are pushing to um, speak to the institutions and anchors in our communities to help them to be better. And I think it requires platforms like this. Absolutely. Right? With Noe. Absolutely. I think these platforms really um, are going to advance um, mm -hmm. the, the opportunities for diversity and equity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you, Noe, for giving us this space. And that's it. Thank you for listening to Big Easy Ideas. Big Easy Ideas is produced by The Idea Village a nonprofit accelerator that supports startups and cultivates entrepreneurial talent in New Orleans and the greater Gulf South region. By visiting ideavillage.org, 
You can learn more about how to turn your idea into a thriving business and how to turn your business into a high-growth startup. You can also learn more about opportunities to invest in startups, ways to mentor, partner, and support local industry-leading companies. You might also find a job in our region's thriving tech and startup community. The idea is, it takes a village. So visit ideavillage.org to explore how to get involved in the Gulf South's rapidly growing entrepreneurial ecosystem. The music for Big Easy Ideas is by the Young Fellas Brass Band from their new album, Block Party, which is available now on all streaming platforms. You can find the Young Fellas Brass Band on the streets of New Orleans and at their website, youngfellasbrassband.com. That's fellas with a Z, young F-E-L-L-A-Z brassband.com. And of course, we want to give a special thank you to all of the sponsors of New Orleans Entrepreneur Week, in addition to the year-round donors and supporters of the Idea Village, who make this work possible and keep this content accessible to all. And finally, thank you for listening. We can't wait to see you down in the Big Easy. Until next time.